From Viking-era stories of warring gods to the poetic epic that is Beowulf. From Wagner's ring cycle to the rise of Nazism. From Marvel's mighty Thor to contemporary white nationalism, Old Norse mythology has had a profound effect on Western European culture. But while Thor Ragnarok may have sold millions of tickets at the multiplex, what did we really learn about the myths behind the CGI? This time on Culture File, Heather O'Donoghue, Professor of Old Norse Icelandic Literature at Oxford leads us again through the many ways these myths have shaped the modern mind. The Old Norse myths are stories about the gods, first of all, the gods who who, who peopled Asgard, Hausgarður, um, in, in the Old Norse form, and they... They were the, the names that we know, really. The names Thor, Odin, Freya. The interesting thing about the Old Norse gods is that they were not eternal and they were not perfect. So they were a curious kind of reflection of humanity. They were fallible. They, they experienced sadness. Odin, for instance, was untrustworthy, an oathbreaker. Thor had a kind of what we might call now an anger management problem. <laughs> and and he, 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 was, he had a very short fuse and was liable to violence. So there are lots of stories about the gods, but the great kind of centre of Old Norse mythology, oddly a centre that's the end of Old Norse mythology in, in, in one sense, is what's called Ragnarök, which means something like the judgment of the gods or what the gods deserved. Um, it was slightly mistranslated, actually, as the twilight of the gods, and that's what gives us Wagner's Goethe Dämmerung, the dimming of the, of the gods. And Ragnarök is the time when the gods, as it were, get what was coming to them, if you want to take a kind of moral line. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an apocalyptic view of uh, it's the end of the world when when the world will kind of implode and mountains will split apart and the gods will face their equal and opposite adversary, um, a monster. So Thor will meet the world serpent, the, the monstrous great serpent that holds the world together. The influence of Old Norse mythology has been absolutely immense on Western European culture, on literature, on the visual arts, particularly on, I suppose, what I'm especially interested in, the politics and intellectual history of the, the development of, of, of Western political culture. Wagner's use of Old Norse myth is, is, is interesting because he didn't write the ring cycle in the order in which it is now preserved and performed. And it's that bit with the Rhine maidens and so on which is the least dependent on Old Norse myth. So if you just kind of, uh, when you start off listening to Wagner's ring cycle, you're not getting the full force of Wagner's dependence on Old Norse, which is a, a, an odd kind of thing. But in fact, almost everything else is from Old Norse myth and, and, and the rest of the story about Siegfried and Brynhilde and so on is, is all straight Old Norse.
I've just been reading Tom Burkett's book, The Norse Myths, and, and he has this marvellous way of putting it. He talks about how Old Norse Myth became a tool of cultural warfare in Nazi Germany, which is, you know, kind of exactly, exactly right, really, and, and how Old Norse myth be, w was used and provided uh, kind of iconic symbols and scenes for what we now would call um, the white supremacist movements, the far-right movements, the, the rise of racism. It's nothing really about the content of the Old Norse myth that lends itself to the, the, these kind of you know, deplorable ideologies. It's because it was imagined that Old Norse myth represented a survival of ancient Germanic belief and wisdom. There's a kind of continued idea of the kind of male, muscular, blonde, tall, um, essentially white hero. On the other hand, many of those, particularly from the 1930s, many of those Marvel comics were written and illustrated by Jewish writers and illustrators, and some of them are specifically anti-Nazi. Some of them mock Hitler as a kind of, as a weedy leader rather than as a, as a, as a, as a kind of, you know, Aryan physical ideal. So it's, it's more complicated than, than that. But I do, I do worry about, about the, the, the continuance of this ideal of the, of the uh, it's just like, like kind of Nazi propaganda, really, the, the big, tall, blonde, kind of, well, male and female, physical ideal, the ideal, the idea that, that a physical type somehow has some kind of moral superiority, the kind of moral supremacy, that's a whole white supremacy thing, I, I think is, you know, utterly disgusting. And, 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 and I, I do wonder if some of the, but some of its, some, some of the kind of backwash of it in popular culture promulgates that. One of the figures, one of the great symbols in Old Norse mythology is the symbol of the world tree, Yggdrasil, this huge world, world tree. And one of the first signs of Ragnarok, the end of the world, the Norse apocalypse, is that the tree will begin to tremble and will begin to creak. And, you know, I mean, real old trees do that. Trees, you know, the ancient trees that we can see do that. And if there's a storm, you know, the, these, these great symbols of longevity and, and, and stability begin to start to... to, to sh and that's the great thing about, about Old Norse myth, the idea that nothing lasts forever. That, that ev everything has a kind of organic lifespan. Professor Heather O'Donoghue there and the reporter was Rachel Andrews. Next time on Culture File, Paddy Woodworth has another vision of the end of the world when he takes down off the shelf The End of Nature by Bill McKibben.